You are now tuning in to the Own the Build podcast. Join Sealing's very own Paul Hemming, where each week he interviews experts from the world of construction and asks all the important questions around intelligent construction management. Hello and welcome to episode 96 of the Own the Build podcast with me, Paul Hemming. How is everybody doing today? Today is a first at the Own the Build studio. I am welcoming not one, but two esteemed guests to the show today. So in the studio today, we have first Joe Lucas, who is director of CoCreate, a consultancy which enables thriving project ecosystems through knowledge, networks, and behaviors. I know that I've piqued your attention already. Welcome to the show, Joe. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Happy it's Friday. Indeed, indeed. And so we are also joined today by Gareth Evans, who is CEO at Smart Procurement Solutions, a consultancy who positively disrupts the status quo of construction procurement. It sounds like something I know very well myself. Gareth, how are you, mate? Excellent. Thank you, mate. Thanks for having us today. Looking forward to this one. Yeah, no, we're very happy to have you here on the show. So, I know that you guys collaborate together. I've given a little bit of an introduction, if you like, to both of you. But just starting with you first, Joe, just paint the picture a little bit about you, your career, your experience, and co-create. Right. I always have fun with this one. <laughs> um, so I'm an engineer by background. Um, so I grew up in Arab um, engineering company as a civil structural engineer starting in Brisbane. And I like to say that I started by being the engineer of bridges, like building bridges, and now I build bridges through between people. So that's my kind of segue as to yeah, how I how I ended up in the sort of work I do. Um, but I still work on um, mainly on mega projects, but anything that's deeply complex, lots of people who need to come together to deliver something unique. And as we all know, whilst the technical side is incredible and often quite challenging. The real difficulty that we all hit is how do you get people to work together effectively? And that's the sort of work I do. So I help tie them together either contractually through the contractual negotiations between parties or I tie them together through processes. So ways of working, making sure there's really clear ways for people to work together or I tie them together through um, relationships. And that's the sort of work we do in co-create. Everything from knowledge management, ecosystems and things like that. No, it's really interesting from building bridges to actually building bridges. And I think we're going to talk a lot about how you collaborate and how the work that you're doing is fostering better relationships and what that means on a project. I think we're going to talk about that quite a bit, actually. But Gareth, for the listeners as well, just paint a picture about you and your experience. Yeah, thank you. Um, So Gareth Evans, uh, I grew up in South Africa. I left when I was 18 and father where's your accent gone (laughs) yeah lost the accent along the way wait until i have a beer then it really comes out um you see my mum was born in rhodesia gareth so her accent and she left when she was 18 and her accent has dissipated but if she has a glass of wine it's much the same so Rhodesia's very old school. It's actually Zimbabwe. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I know that now. But, she, yeah. but yeah, no. So um, yeah, dad was a civil engineer. Mum was a housekeeper. And we traveled a lot as a result of dad's kind of activities. And 
he was a bit of a you know where wherever the next new road needed to be built uh, we moved to and so we got to see a lot of South Africa growing up and that background's relevant uh, slightly because I'll come back to it later in the pod I'm sure but I then moved to Australia and studied in Australia on the Gold Coast very close to where I'm a celebrity is being filmed at the moment. And I know <laughs> my guest that's joined me on the podcast today is also, has family in the Gold Coast. So there's a kind of a, a weird segue kind of link to how I know Did Joe. you guys know each other? No. No, <laughs> no. But he studied just down the road from my folks. That would have been coincidental. So, so, but after I kind of did my studies, I went back to Africa um, and I lived through quite a lot of the political change that was going on at the time. And, um, and I really struggled actually to put into practice my degree that I'd, I'd, uh, and my qualification. And so I took the benefits of having a British passport at birth and came over to the UK in 1998. So... Hence, I've lost the accent since because I've only been back to South Africa once uh, in 2003 when I got married. But landing here, I kind of furthered my uh, degree and lived in Bristol and studied in Bristol, became a quantity surveyor, fell into quantity surveying, worked my way up to become a commercial manager. And then after doing commercial management, kind of really wanted to specify and go into procurement because I found that to be uh, a niche and as the projects became bigger I decided to kind of become more specific in my offering and led procurement teams across Crossrail, across HS2 and quite a diverse portfolio of large infrastructure projects so I'm on the infrastructure side of things and it was at that point I started to meet people like Joe and actually at the the, the start of this year Joe and I were I, she was a lecturer on an MBA course and I was one of the students in, in, in the room and I kind of saw, I mean, everything that Joe was saying resonated so strongly with what I was trying to do in building relationships and putting relationships first in, in the supply relationships. And when Joe started talking about ecosystems, I got really excited and was like, right, I need to go and find Joe at the break. And I don't think we've looked back since that kind of point really. And we, we now do work together, which is cool. So I'm going to start. I'm going to Fantastic. <laughs> and so, no, that's, it's really cool. And so talking on, and I, I have to, your story resonates with me somewhat, Gareth, in terms of falling into quantity surveying. I did much the same. It feels to me like not the sort of thing that you run around on a playground and say, I want to be a, I want to be a quantity surveyor when I'm older, right? But there we go. So you guys, that's really interesting. I did not know that about your relationship, that it was a lecturer student to start with. You guys are collaborating quite a lot. We'll talk about some of the stuff that you've done. Just drawing on building bridges, ecosystems, these words that have already started to become a big part of the conversation we're having today. Talk to me about your views on the current state of relationships in construction and why we need to change. I mean, I think just the word contractor says a lot about how... The construction industry works in that there is a series of legal contracts that sit between many 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 layers and we have this concept of tiers from your tier ones all the way down to you know four five six it can go quite deep um, and there's some really interesting stats which talks about the fact that 80 percent of the construction industry is actually um, SMEs small companies 
um, doing the work, but 80% of the profit sits with the big 20% who run everything. And I think that Is drives that right? all sorts of, yeah, some really interesting stats on these things. And I just think that drives a lot of the behaviours that sit within the project ecosystems. And I think what's positive, but also means that we need to think about things more dif- uh, differently, is that we're getting much more ambitious. So I originally worked on, um, well, I worked on the Singapore Northeastern Line as one of my first jobs as a, I was beam girl, designing all the beams on a, uh, on a big mega structure. We're the bean boys, we're the, we're the QSs, don't try and take our jobs. <laughs> we're the bean well, counters. No, I, I worked with Colin Boy and... One of my key moments in my career was the moment when I realised that the beams that I was designing did not match up with his columns. And I went, oh, you need people to talk to each other. That'd be quite useful. And we were sitting right next to each other in an office. So imagine how hard that gets when you have contractual boundaries between all of the people who need to work together. So we say the word collaboration constantly, but then we put all these barriers in the way of people being able to actually work with each other. Um, it gets yeah. yeah, it gets talked about a lot, doesn't it? Collaboration, you know, it's in all of the reports that have ever been written. Like, there's a distinct lack of collaboration in the industry. It's so fragmented. Blah 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 blah. It, you almost become a bit desensitised to it, to be honest with you. I mean, you've, you, there's an, another government report comes out five years later and champions the same thing. Says you've got to do this. The industry will change. I've only been in it since 2007, so I've 15 years that I've been in the industry, and. It doesn't feel like it has changed to me wholly in terms of the word collaboration. I don't know what you guys think about that. Well, I think we've got to stop just using a word. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's less talk and more do. I don't know if that's where you're going, Joe, but it, if I can reflect on your last question, I think the, the only word that comes to mind right now is fragile because there's a lack of trust within the relationships and I wouldn't say all relationships because actually as an industry, we're pretty good at going to those that we trust and that's what, kind of one of the problems, right? <laughs> that the circle of trust is really tight rather than inclusive and bringing you know, diverse people to, to bring an answer to the table. But the relationships that we have are very fragile because they're very transactional. They're not strategic at all. They're very short-term. They're very temporary. They're very kind of... We burn and turn relationships. I tell you, I did some analysis for a client the other day on how many suppliers do you have in your ecosystem and then on like a billion-pound project, and it turns out to be 700. You say, okay, 700 suppliers to deliver the billions. Probably right, right? feels right. But 80% of the work's actually only done with like... 20% 20% by volume but so, so it's 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 this why we've got a tail of about a thousand you know you know 500 suppliers that's too attritional maybe it's good from a statistic in terms of the number by which you're kind of engaging but it's very attritional trying to build relationship with you know 700 suppliers so sorry I've gone into stats there and it's probably not relevant no no I, I completely hear you my my yeah. my experience project-wise and throughout my construction life before ceiling was that I was a subcontract QS and although we quite often worked I worked for two companies and quite often we we had repeat business from similar-ish clients so I can assure you that the word fragile very much resonates in terms of how I perceived 
many of my relationships with many of my clients. Some projects were good, some projects were average, some projects were not so good for a wide variety of reasons. And fragile is absolutely the word I would use to describe almost every relationship that I had. Uh, and I think the think word that, that you're using... Sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Are you interviewing here, Gareth? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to shut up. I'm going to shut up. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, 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 I want to know the answer to that one as well. But I was just going to uh, touch on the, the word relationship that we've been using continuously. And I think that's really interesting because if you say, how do we do supply chain resilience right now? And I mean, you guys probably have a better understanding of the nuts and bolts of that. But I'm guaranteeing that you're not tracking the relationship between people in your supply chain as the key way of checking the resilience. But we all know that that's actually what creates a resilient supply chain, is that you have trusted relationships between key people and when someone moves job, often the work moves with it because we actually work with people, we don't work with companies. I completely agree. And I think that what you're saying resonates wholly. And that's why, touching on what Gareth said earlier about, you know, we actually end up going back to the people that we know and the people that we trust, right? The challenge is, and this is where, to me, often these reports and these the buzz phrase of collaboration, collaboration and relationships, it washes over me a little bit because I struggle to see from my, from drawing on my experience of being that subcontract commercial manager of how those relationships are in any way scaled when you're talking about having 700 suppliers or whatever you were just explaining in your example. And that's where I struggle to see, and I'm interested to hear your view on it. You've talked about ecosystems, but how, how can companies seriously have that personal relationship on scale with Gareth's example of 700 suppliers? How do you do that? Yeah, so I I, I, th- I think it's not about having 700 suppliers. It's about being honest about... So, so we just don't do what we should do. We don't think f- forward enough and go, right, so what is that pipeline of work uh, that I need to deliver? Who in my ecosystem will help me deliver this project and that's best place to help me deliver it? Where does risk lie and where am I going to get value in the partnerships? All all supply chain management is, is an extension of our capability beyond what we can do ourselves, right? And if if we're going to give that capability to a supplier to help us deliver our project, we've got to manage the relationship and we don't set the relationship up. We don't even appoint relationship managers. Uh, This week, I asked (laughs) one of my clients... Who's going to run this relationship? And they were—they looked at me aghast, as QS is, as, as if to say, <laughs> "We've got the team of deliveries, like the delivery team, and the commercial managers will run this relationship." I said, "I, I know they'll administer the relationship, but who's going to actually touch in, check in, and have a chat and listen?" to what's going on in the relationship. Just touching on that, because that then goes back to, you know, you used the word administer and you used the word contractors earlier, right? The two go hand in hand, don't they? I'm going to plead a bit of ignorance here. And I've worked on big jobs, but never big infrastructure jobs. There's always big building projects. So supply chain and suppliers, is, it's a slightly different process, I imagine, from like the larger infrastructure projects. Why would you need a relationship manager between principal contractor and supplier pleading ignorance 
Can I go back one step just before we answer that question? (laughs) When you say, how do you deal with the scale? And this almost touches on this question as well. How do you deal with that scale? And it's exactly as Gareth says, is that you need to know where to focus. An interesting stat um, to keep in mind, just to deal with scale, is the fact that you only really need to find 3% of people. So if you have 1,000, you need 30 can I cope with my mathematics? Um, so you're looking for the two QSs in the room, but we can verify you nailed that. <laughs> I did study a lot of maths, um, but yeah. So you're looking, <laughs> I was going to say you're looking for the three percent, really. And why is it three percent? So social network analytics, and this comes from a company called Innovisor, who are a brilliant company, um, and they do social network analytics um, based in Copenhagen. And what they've worked out is that they analyze lots and lots and lots of projects. And over time, they've worked out that 3% of people within your project ecosystem influence can influence up to 90% of the people in your ecosystem. So just think Twitter. Like there's just a number of voices that are very loud that just get a lot of distance. And that's happening in every way that Which we makes, communicate. Yeah. yeah. So you're not really and looking... And how does that then... Yeah. So how do you then deal with that? So basically what you're then looking at, and that 3%, the main question we get asked is how do you find the 3%? They're not who you think they are. So they're not your senior people. So they may not be that commercial manager who's been given the role to look after the relationship. Um, They're trusted people. And you'll find them easily enough by, I mean, in Co-Create we do 15 conversations. So we, we, within 15 conversations, I can tell you who, who, what the key invent, interventions you need to do and who you need to do them with because they're the people who sit at the interfaces. So it's where knowledge passes through, so document controllers almost every time, um, or a technical specialist is often the person who is you know, one of the key people in that relationship. Um, money, so whoever stamps the timesheets or signs off the, the um, your papers every month, like any of those sorts of people, they are fundamentally your 3%, and then you co-create with them. So by building a relationship with them, you can then deal with issues when they occur, and this is why you need to have that relationship. Because if you've you don't have that touched, relationship... With, yeah, sorry. No, you've just touched on something really interesting there. You just said, and that's how you co-create. Now, your business is called co-create. Your consultancy is called co-create. What does that phrase mean to you in specifically the context of construction projects and management? If I take the example of the relationship between Transport for London and High Speed 2, we implemented a change which impacted around the 7,000 people that sit at that interface, which sounds obscene numbers, but basically anyone who's working on on, on, the, on the phase which out of Euston you know, is somehow going to have to deal with TfL at some point, Transport for London, because every time you need to use the roads, every time you need to touch any of the assets or get anywhere near any of the assets, you need to make sure you've got Transport for London's permission to do so. So we, set, we had to set up the relationship between the two parties. And that sounds like an impossible task. You know, how do you, and that was stretched over about 200 different companies because of the supply chains that sits on both sides. So, but who employed you and what was, because uh, maybe I'm just being, it's my, it's almost like my naivety to this, that what is going on here. This is a huge project, very complex ecosystem. Who's employing you and why are they employing you? So it was employed by Transport for London because they recognised that um, High Speed 2 arriving was going to have a massive impact on London's transport system. So there's, a little bit. Yeah, so there's a potential for a lot of disruption. Um, there's a lot of muck that's involved when you dig holes 
and you have to dig a lot of holes when you're digging a tunnel and a lot of that muck ends up on the highways or on the railways in order to be removed out and that of course has huge impact on a major hub within London which is Euston but also in a lot of other spaces along the route on the way up to Old Oak Common where there's a huge piece of infrastructure going in and again you've already got operating railways happening there and you have a whole lot of roads around it um, and a whole lot of buses that are trying to move through all of that and get keep London moving which is the classic transport for London saying. And so they call you up and they say Joe come <laughs> well, on help us out. Well, it's really fascinating because what you have is you have a contract, a contract between the two parties that needs to get signed off that says this is how we're going to play nicely together. And you get to a clause which says, how are we going to play nicely together? And there's no natural, normally you have to work to Transport for London's rules because they're a big beast and, you know, basically you play by their rules if you're playing in London. But actually, High Speed 2 is an equally large beast deeply complex and has got a hybrid bill which says it's allowed to build as fast as it can so that it doesn't have to deal with a lot of bureaucracy in moving its way through millions and millions of different counties as it heads up to Birmingham. So um, you have this sort of situation where suddenly no one knows where to point because there's no natural way to work together. So I was brought in to help sign off the final contractual clauses um, just to negotiate them between the two parties and it became obvious that actually we needed to create the ways of working and you can't ask two behemoths to change how they work. So basically you bridge between them. So you keep saying, you know... Well, it's very, funny though, yeah. isn't it? Because you could argue that you ca- it's very difficult to actually... You, you've got the example of two behemoths, haven't you? HS2 and TFL, right? But also many construction contractors may not be behemoths, right? You might be going right down the tier. No, system. no, no, they are. Yeah. But it's almost like the mentality isn't it of this is how we've always done it i can't we can't restructure that's not a new way of working ah, I'm, I'm terrified and I, I i hesitate to say like i think our natural inclination is to give people a hard time for not taking on new ways of working like it's so obvious when you're standing on the outside to say oh why don't you just use the latest innovation why aren't you using bim 4d why aren't you like, these things are brilliant and exciting and they're so good and yeah if you're starting from scratch wonderful but when you're dealing with a company like Transport for London, there are very, once you dig under the layers, and again, this is what Gareth was talking about, the need to really listen. When you dig under the layers, there's very good reasons for the way they're doing things. They're, op- they're running you know, 4 million plus journeys per day, and it's an operational railway, and safety is paramount. And so things are built up over time for very good, and there, there are things which are very inefficient, but the things are built up for reasons. You can't just tear them out and try again. So you do have to bridge. You have to say, actually, 80 to 90% of what you're doing is probably perfectly valid. Like, you guys know your stuff better than I'll ever know it. There's no way I can get under those layers. But actually, it's that small 10% where you need to talk to this other behemoth who's just coming along and playing with your system. So, and you need to be able to give consent, and you need to give consent in a single voice. So there's, you know, there's, we're so quick to judge as consultants and as people who come in, and it's so important that we listen. I'm sure you've got plenty to add to no, this no, one, No, no, that Gareth. makes perfect sense. And <laughs> there's a lot of interesting takeaways there. I'm trying to think about then how we can contextualise that and put that, make it relevant for some of the listeners who are thinking, you know, how can, there's a lot of interesting, it's an interesting narrative. How, do, how can I apply that to my project, my business? But we will talk more about that right after this break. Hello, it's me again. I wanted to share a quick story with you on why I co-founded Sealink with my best mate Chris. Chris and I 
we're both QSs, and this is going to sound sad, but one night we were sat in the pub talking about subcontract tendering, and we realised the industry had a problem. Number one, procurement was too paper-based. Number two, it was too time-consuming, and every QS had their own unique way of doing things. And number three, perhaps most importantly, if you want to competitively tender, you need to know hundreds of the best subcontractors. We simply didn't. That's why we created C-Link. It's software to solve subcontract tendering. We wanted to remove these challenges and help the industry get better. So if you, or someone you know, tenders with subcontractors, you've got to see our software. Head over to our link, www.get.c-link.com forward slash podcast to find out more. I will include it in the description box. So again, there's no excuses. Now, let's get right back to the show. So guys, we've talked a lot about relationships and how relationships, collaboration, ecosystems work. We've used a really nice example there of two behemoths. I'm going to I'm going to run with behemoth as my uh, phrase of the day today, Joe. I'm enjoying that with TFL and with HS2. I want to try to use your expertise. I'm guessing you largely work for the on these gigantic behemoth organisations and, and projects. I would just want to try and imagine a world where you're working a little bit further down the supply chain, if that's the right phrase. So we're talking about maybe regional projects, regional contractors and we're talking about relationships. What would your advice be to smaller contractors regarding relationships? So, great question. Personally, it's just people, right? We're just dealing with people. Whether it's a large infrastructure project or a 20 million pound school or a 500,000 pound house, we're all just people delivering projects. And to kind of link back to what Joe was saying, I think the next key word that I'll talk about here is integration. And Joe was painting a picture of how Transport for London and HS2 were trying to integrate with each other and how the two organisations were trying to integrate. My specialism and my role with, as a procurement director has evolved from actually, believe it or not, not just judging my decisions on time and cost, but actually managing the integration of the supply chain vertically to deliver the project. So you've got this kind of you know client-sponsor relationship. The next relationship down is often client tier one in in the current system in the UK for delivering large projects. But if you if you then go further down into tier one, tier two, tier three, actually that, that's just layer upon layer upon barrier upon barrier, really. And if we can get to a far more, I always like to refer to an integrated relationship as almost like a DNA coil, where you've got a spiral of relationships, not at different levels, they all interconnected. And the strength of that DNA is dependent on each of the trust bonds between us delivering the outcome the health of that ecosystem and so so to make it kind of relevant all i'm talking about is those nodes in that dna coil being people very technical gareth no no just 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 stick with it stick with the analogy for a second if you if you think of those nodes and the strands between the nodes being 
person, people relationships, all we've got to do is get people to connect. And the more people we get to connect to the same cause, to the same outcome, the healthier the outcome, the healthier the relationships in that ecosystem, within that DNA strand. Yeah, Which makes a lot of sense. I guess my question is more... Yeah. I'm what do you do? Commercial director, okay. I'm a procurement <laughs> director, I'm a managing director. I'm I'm whoever, right? How do I even know I've got a problem? How do I recognize I've got a problem? Have I got a problem? I, I might be sitting here thinking I haven't got any problems. So what's I don't know what these guys are going on about. They're just talking about relationship fluff. I don't need to hear it. <laughs> I mean, I think this is nice. you go back to what but Gareth said. How do I recognize these but things? You go back to what Gareth said right at the beginning, which was listening. So your job as a commercial director, if you want to know that you've got a healthy working ecosystem, you need to go out and talk to people who are at that interface with your key parties that you work with. Because no matter how small the company is you're working on, you're part of a much bigger ecosystem. And actually that's becoming more and more important now as we deal with things like um, the climate emergency and um, we're all heading for our net zero targets and the big companies, you're part of their value chain. You're often part of the scope three, calculations for carbon, etc. And all of that requires a lot of relationship building. So that's, okay, so I think what you guys are saying to me now, and this is going to touch on the article that you guys co-wrote, and which is one of the reasons I was reaching out. What you're saying to me is, Paul, if you're a procurement director, a commercial director, a managing director, whoever you are, you have got a fragile supply chain, you have got a problem, and you're going to need to manage it every single day. And what you're saying is, if you are that commercial director, you should be reaching out and understanding about how each component of your supply chain is doing, because everyone is, it's a difficult place to be right now. It's a challenging yeah. supply chain. Is that what you're saying? It's a fragile supply chain. Well, it, we're it's, in a lot of uncertainty, most, aren't we? Yeah. It, it's the most disruptive it's been ever. We've got trade wars we've got pandemics we've got chaos right now and every week there's something else that's coming to the fore and that's what we write about in our article right i I think i think if you're a commercial director and you're not talking and uh regularly meeting with your key counterparts your key counterpart directors your managing directors of your supply chain to listen to their day-to-day constraints then you're definitely out of touch and, you, and you've got a big surprise coming your way and most most I, people I, aren't doing that i believe yeah i might be wrong here but i believe there aren't masses if you walk if you get away from the tier one crowd let's say i think you'd be surprised at how few people are actively engaging with their supply chain and i would actually say you may have your, your few that you speak to regularly but like a handful whether or not you're actively speaking to a proper supply chain of people, I think you'd be surprised as to how few people are doing that. But what I'd say to that is when something goes wrong, who do you turn to? So you turn to your supply chain and you want them to step up to the plate. And the pandemic was one of those moments where we had to get everyone to work quite differently. And you suddenly, people were working all around the sun, the clock to try and work out, you know, how do I get gangs on site and keep them properly isolated and get them moving you are heavily relying on those relationships you built during the, the good times and so if you want to have a resilient supply chain that will work when things go wrong when we get pandemics when we get a financial crash when we have all sorts of things happen um, you need to have done the work beforehand and you can't rely on the just on the money 
people don't go above and beyond just for the money they go above and beyond for the relationship and it's not a soft and fluffy and fuzzy thing it's a I need to know what's causing you problems so that it's not a we need to be besties it's I need to know what's causing you problems so that I can help remove those barriers so that you can do the best job you can possibly do and I have a resilient network that I can rely on throughout the build process and and the way that I do that, that is in terms of yeah no, go on. What is the way that I was just going to say the way that I do that is to make sure that, well, I mean, part of it is you sort of think, oh, that's exhausting. I have to go talk to people constantly. Um, the, and and you know, I just don't have enough I time. I can't in imagine day. eating that, Joe. <laughs> but it is. I mean, seriously, there's only so much time you have in a day to go and talk to people. And you want to, so you need those interactions to have purpose. And so the easiest way to make something like that work is to make sure that there's a meaningful activity that you are doing as part of that talking so it's not just coffee i completely agree with management by coffee i think it's a really powerful act 100 (laughs) percent. but it's quite important to bring people together around a spreadsheet around a you know whatever it is that you if you're going to have if you've got a regular meeting where you discuss you know what's the pipeline of work for my supply chain so that something that they need to know, something you want them to know, something you want them to prep themselves for, you can bring them together and have that conversation on a monthly basis, etc. And just make sure you build some time to have a chat about their kids and about what books they're reading and about the latest thing they did on the weekend, because that's how relationships are built. Yeah. Okay. So, th- and, and again, this makes, it completely resonates. Everything that you're saying completely resonates. This, to me, almost feels a little bit like the UK government in 2015 saying, oh, we haven't really got much money. Should we not buy a load of PPE for a potential pandemic that's never going to happen, right? All right, yeah, let's let's save time there, right? Whereas then the world that you are painting is one where, you know, you, 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 you have the time to go and speak to your supply chain. You have the time to dedicate. You, you need to do it. A lot of the problems that many of the contractors, particularly lower down the supply chain, would probably feel hearing this is how on earth do you think I'm going to find the time to do that there's no way I've got a supply chain of how many 50 hundreds that I could potentially be speaking to I have not got the time to do that but again it's that's why I paint the picture of oh and then all of a sudden pandemic comes along and you've got no PPE Paul Paul, it's it's about valuing supply chain managers and supply chain management so what if you haven't got any well you need to get some quickly because the health of your business the health of your profits is reliant on the relationships you hold gone are the days that you can just get get but i actually think we're at a turning point a critical turning point where now suppliers are choosing their clients rather than clients choosing their suppliers why do you think that and, well because it's got to the point where their survival is dependent on healthy relationships with clients that get them that will see them through the tough times that are to come and that's not just by chance that's not just by acting in a very transactional way it's about actually putting merit and meaning behind each one of those relationships so if you haven't got a relationship management team or a supply chain management team uh, and most actually I'll, I'll be transparent most of the team contractors that i've worked with for my 20 years in procurement and supply chain management decimated their procurement and supply chain teams and thought they could just do it through commercial and 
gave it to the QSs. And gave it back to the QSs, which which is okay. That's fine. As long as it's people that are doing the relationship management, but you tend to find it's not because the QSs have a role to administer contracts where it's difficult to say, come on, let's put an arm around you. Let's have a cup Talk of tea. Talk to me about your family. Tell me Talk about to your me family. About your exactly. Reading. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it's, it's about creating space in your business for there to be good listening and an understanding and an ep- empathy, right, about what's going on in your life. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and, and I'm not trying to, please don't take what I'm saying as a way of uh, kind of dismissing, you know, the importance of building these relationships and, you know, I've, I've, it's something that I've, I've valued quite a bit as a commercial manager. Right? It wasn't my job to be Mr. Relationships with absolutely everyone, but it's a, it's a key part, whether it's up the supply chain or down the supply chain. I guess I'm just looking at it a little bit with, and maybe I'm thinking about it with my old uh, archaic hat on, right? Maybe that's how I'm viewing it. But I know that the stresses and challenges that many of these SMEs, the 80% of the business, are under and it becomes quite hard to to create that role which may be perceived as fluffy to start with but it's clearly not is it and I think the important thing that we haven't really quite talked about here is the fragility of the supply chain and it'd be really great perhaps Joe if you could just talk about why the supply chain today is more fragile than it has ever been. I I think Gareth touched on it earlier we're sitting in a really volatile period Um, you've got things coming at us from all directions and I think what's really interesting is when you look at something like the pandemic it when something like that happens you start to see the system we often swim in the water and don't realize what we're swimming in and so the pandemic was really fascinating because it suddenly made us aware of a lot of things that we've kind of known but we've not really paid much attention to so the fact that we had these global supply chains, um, the fact that reliant on materials which are limited, the fact that something like the Ukraine war can come along and you suddenly are paying obscene amounts of money for your business's energy, the fact that we have... There's 10% less oh, steel yeah, in Europe, yeah, etc. Yeah, yeah. The fact that we have organisations which you know have decimated their the people that work with them. So then they're just sitting there with these skeleton crews of everyone deeply exhausted. There's a definite exhaustion happening that's everywhere. It's not just you as an individual feel better about yourself. Everyone's feeling this. It's across the board. And all of that leads to a fragile supply chain. And I mean, Gareth, I'm sure you've got other reasons for the re- for this fragility that we're seeing at the moment. Yeah, huge. I mean, inflation, it's, it's not escaped any of us, right? And there's many, many subsets of what's driving at that inflation and I, I don't think I need to expand on it but I, I think I think if I can just touch on it's probably it moves now into a key part of the fragility is what is the collective state of mind of everyone in the industry as we head into more uncharted waters next year you know and and so actually for me I think we need to come back and own some relationships and just steady the ship and say, right, let's create space to talk about our concerns, about the fragility, about how we can help each other out going forward. Because otherwise you almost become overwhelmed by everything. And that's not the point. The point isn't to say that this that it's, it's insurmountable. I think there's absolutely 
answers to how we can deal with all of all of what's going on but it's much easier if it's that problem shared is a problem half thing yeah yeah <laughs> and so gareth you're walking into a main contractor tomorrow what is your advice to them correct space and time to listen stop slow down slow down slow down and actually create the space and time for you to invite key players where you, where where there's risk and value to be delivered create the space and time for them to meet with you and tell the, and let the, let them just open their hearts and tell you what's on their mind and what's stressing them out and actively actively listen and then move it's forward. Really, really good advice. Yeah. yeah. And Joe, if I ask, pose you exactly the same question, what would your answer be? I think what I want to say is, do you have time to not do this? Because we've been sitting in a very stable, it doesn't feel like it, but we've actually gone through a very unique period in history, which doesn't line up with the vast arc of history, where we've had incredible stability post-war. And I think it's made us all a little bit lazy and it's made us a little bit feeling like we can do this on our own and we don't need other people and it's enough just to have a contract between us and we can, we can work through these transactional relationships because it was stable. But what's really noticeable is in unstable times, the organisations and the ecosystems which exist are the ones that have strong relationships and strong ties between them. So you have multiple pathways so that's what resilience is all about. You're not creating a relationship just because it's a nice thing to have. I mean, I hope you're doing that as well because a sense of belonging is what gives us all purpose <laughs> and removes depression, which is quite interesting. Yeah. So, you know, we're in an industry which has a, a shockingly high rate um, of mental illness and well-being issues. Um, and I think, you know, having a sense of well-being and a tied together uh, organisations will help with that. But actually, from a pure commercial point of view, when uncertainty hits the ecosystems which survive are the ones that have the most resilience and resilience is a word that we all throw around when you dig under all the layers of resilience it really just means that there's strong ties between people and there's a, that means there's multiple pathways to fix a problem because you can ring up your mate and say can you just give me a hand I can't pay it this month, but can you hold for 10 days? Or you give a call and you say, could you just get that crane on site? Because that's just going to save our day. I know it's really difficult with the insurance side of things, but I can call my mate over there who does insurance and he's willing to sort of wiggle things around to make that work. And then we can get the whole site moving again. If you don't have relationships, you can't make those calls. You know, we've got a, a weather storm that comes in and creates an entire flood. How do we deal with our local neighborhood? You know, there's, there's so many things that are going to be happening where we're going to be so reliant on, on this really strong set of relationships. And if you're not building them now, you will not exist as a business. I mean, drop the mic there, to be, <laughs> to be, to be honest with you. I mean, it's, um, I know I've probably not pushed back, but I'm just trying to challenge the thought here. And I've certainly now got a, a slightly different perception or a very different perception to, and I'm not managing a supply chain at a main contractor or a client now myself, but it, I speak to plenty of people who are, and it does give me a different, just having had this conversation, I feel very differently now about it than I would have done at the start of the conversation. So clearly it shows that this has been a really valuable conversation. And I think I said to you at the top of the show, I've got 
few questions that I want to answer and from time to time I will interview people and have asked maybe the first question and no others. That's basically what has happened today. We've bounced around in a really interesting fashion. I think it's made for a really good listen. So unfortunately we're at the end of the show. I'll be leaving Joe's and Gareth's details and their two business details in the episode description. Joe, Gareth, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experience with us. Thank you. It's been brilliant. Thank you so much, Paul. And everyone, I will speak to you next week. Have a great week ahead and uh, see you then. Bye.